The final chapter of Dr. Luke's gospel gives us an account concerning, of course, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that three days prior, Jesus would go through a series of trials uh, after he was arrested there in the garden, betrayed by Judas. He was bound up. He was brought back to Jerusalem. First of all, he would go and face the religious leaders on three separate occasions. They would condemn him to death. It was a legal trial, the one that took place at night. And we know that Jesus was beaten at that time as well. It was early in the morning that then they would hand Jesus over to the civil authorities, to Pilate and Herod. And he went through another three trials that would lead to him standing before this crowd that was crying out, crucify Jesus. We don't want this man to rule over us. And it would be the Romans that were uh, beating Jesus as well as they would uh, scourge him, <coughs> excuse me, and they put that cat of nine tails on his back and they pounded that crown of thorns around his head, the Judean thorns that would lacerate his scalp and, and they would beat him pulling out his beard. Matter of fact, we know that it was Isaiah that prophesied in chapter 52 of his book that Jesus, his appearance would be marred more than any other man. He was then taken, he was nailed to a cross there on a hill called Golgotha, that is Calvary, the place of the skull. And in that, out of the darkness as he's on that cross, he would cry out, it is finished. I'll get it back, don't worry. <clears throat> it happens once in a while when you do all the services that I do. There we go. All right, it's back. So anyway, out of the darkness, as Dr. Luke tells us, that it was dark for three hours, and darkness covered all of the earth, and he cried, it is finished. I've done the work. I paid the price, is what he was declaring. The veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And then Jesus would breathe his last. It would be at that time that two religious leaders from the council, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. And it was requested to them, the body, or the, it was granted to them their request. So Joseph takes the body down, is what Luke tells us, and they prepared him for burial. We know that also there, from a distance would be the women that followed Jesus from Galilee. They watched him be crucified. As it was identified to us, those women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joanna. And some of the other women were there as well. And they would watch Jesus be put into the tomb. They would close the tomb with a large stone and then seal the tomb with a Roman seal upon the request of the religious leaders that went to Pilate and said, hey, the disciples might come and steal his body away. Uh, and Pilate said, make the tomb as secure as possible. And we discussed that last week, how a guard was set, Roman soldiers, 12 to 16 of them, with spear in hand watching the tomb. And in that seal over the stone that, that closed the tomb, and anyone that dare come along and break that seal, try to move the stone and take the body of Jesus away, would be under punishment of death by Roman law. So all these factors are taking place here, and we know that the women there named to us in chapter 24, verse 10, that they watched Jesus be prepared for burial as Nicodemus brought the burial spices, uh, Joseph of Arimathea brought the linen uh, cloths, Jesus would be buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We are told from the gospel narratives that that tomb was close to Calvary. 
it was in a garden and that it was hewn out of the rocks. It had never been used before. And those women would watch Joseph and Nicodemus place Jesus' body in the tomb and then see, uh, close that tomb. And then the Romans came along and sealed it. It was three days later, as we saw last week, on the first day of the week, very early. The Gospels tell us, while it was still dark, that the women who were the last ones at the cross, the ones that would watch Jesus be put into the tomb, are now the first ones at the tomb on this first day of the week. And they make the greatest discovery in the history of mankind. And that is the tomb is empty. The angels at the tomb would announce to the women that he's not here but is risen. And it would be the disciples that were told that the stone had been removed and the body of Jesus isn't there as the women came and told them what they saw there at the tomb. Uh, And it was the disciples, the apostles there, they are hiding, they're afraid, they're doubting, they're full of fear, they're downcast, very discouraged and depressed. And something stirs in Peter to where John's gospel tells us that Peter and John both take off. And John, historians tell us, was the youngest of the uh, disciples. So he ends up outrunning Peter, who was uh, supposedly the oldest, and, and historians call him the giant. I just pictured this big burly fisherman lumbering along to go to the tomb. John stops, as his gospel tells us, at the entrance of the tomb, and he looks in, and he sees the grave clothes, but he doesn't see the body of Jesus. Now, Peter, what he does, as we are told, comes, and he barrels right into the tomb. That's kind of his personality, impulsive. He sees the grave clothes and nobody, and they end up leaving. And so that's where we left off. We also know that John chapter 20 fills in some additional information that after Peter and John left the tomb that Mary Magdalene goes back, she looks in the tomb, sees an angel there, and then she turns around and there's Jesus standing there, but she supposes he's the gardener. And she says to him, where did you lay my Lord? Tell me where he's at and I will go and get him and bring him back. And it was Jesus that just said one word, Mary. And she recognized it it was her Lord. Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to my Father, and I'm going to ascend and go to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And, And we see that Mary, again, recognizing that it was indeed the Lord. So all this is taking place. But in that, that you and I, as we know his voice, and it's interesting to me that Mary recognized his voice, that you and I, as Jesus said, that we know the voice of our shepherd, our good shepherd, as even Jesus said, that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. So now we're going to pick it up as Luke tells us what would continue on that same day, that first uh, Easter morning, that resurrection morning, that we pick up the text here at verse 13. It continues through verse 35. It's the longest narrative of what took place on that resurrection day is what we're going to read here to two men on the road to Emmaus. And so in chapter 24, verse 13, we read, now behold. Luke uses that word behold a lot of times in his gospel. He's saying this is important. Uh, Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So here are these two men on this first resurrection day. They're, they're walking to Emmaus, only a few miles from Jerusalem. 
they're talking about Jesus, discussing the events concerning Jesus, and guess who shows up right in the midst of them? It was Jesus himself. And I think that we can stop and consider this because haven't you found that to be true in your own life, that you can be talking to a brother or sister or talking to your kids or family members, uh, talking to those in the body of Christ, and you start to talk about Jesus. You talk about the things of the Lord. You're talking about the things of the kingdom. And it's more than just an intellectual exchange. It's more than just having a philosophical discussion. But when you're really talking about the Lord, and talking about the truth of God's word and the things of the kingdom, guess who's going to show up? The Lord is going to be in your midst and you're going to perceive his presence. He's there. And here in our text, there's a couple guys who are walking along, talking about what's going on, talking about the events that have taken place, not having answers, but just sharing about the Lord. And the Lord ends up in the midst of them. And he will with you as you talk to others about the Lord. And that's what's so special to be able to do that with other brothers and sisters and to our kids and whoever it might be. But as we continue reading in verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. In other words, they didn't recognize him. And he, Jesus, said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened uh, there in these days? You from out of town? I mean, there's been a lot that's been happening over the last week or so. Don't you know about it? Because everybody else knows about it. And of course, it was Passover week, the week before on Palm Sunday, that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. The whole city was moved, is what Matthew tells us. And there's a great multitude that is waving palm branches and laying their clothes on the road. And they're crying, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the King of Israel. And, and then the next day, we know that Jesus went into the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables and he stopped the sacrifices. He drove out those who sold the sacrifices and he rebuked the religious leaders publicly. And then as Jesus is teaching during the week and there's multitudes listening to him, the religious leaders would confront Jesus. And you remember they were trying to trap him and trick him and find a reason to accuse him. And he would answer them and deal with them perfectly, so much so that Mark's gospel tells us that the common people heard him gladly. And that Luke tells us that the people marveled at the way that he handled uh, the religious leaders. And all this has taken place over the, the last Last week, and then Jesus is arrested. He, he's hearing the cries of a, a crowd saying, Crucify him. And he's led to Calvary, beaten and marred more than any other man. And he hangs on a cross. And these guys are saying, You don't know about this? Have you ever talked to somebody? Maybe a major event happens in the country or in the world or in our community, and everybody knows it. And you talk to somebody, and they're kind of clueless. Uh, I remember it was a few years ago, I was actually talking to uh, a guy who was a pastor and something major, a major news event had happened in our community and, and everybody you could talk to knew about it and he was kind of like, oh, I didn't read it, I didn't know anything about it and I'm thinking, are you clueless? Where are you, you know, you've been on Mars? What? What's the deal here? So that's kind of the mindset of these guys but I love that the way that Jesus answered here is they're saying, you know, no, you know the things which has happened in these days and Jesus in verse 19 he said to them, what things? In other words, what's going on? 
Now the question is, did Jesus not know what was going on? Of course he knew what was going on. But this shows me there's a couple things here I think worth considering for our own lives. And what it does show me is that Jesus wants me, he wants you to talk things over with him. And to talk things over with him that he already knows about because he knows everything. And there are those who will come to me and they'll ask me, you know, Pastor Jeff, should I even pray? Because the Lord knows what I'm going through. He's sovereign. He knows the outcome. Should I even pray? Should I pray for that situation or, or give him my desires or pray for, you know, healing or whatever the case may be? And we know that scripture tells us that we are to be men and women that pray, that Jesus said, pray. He says, come. Keep in mind this always especially this Christmas season as we enter into a new year, that the invitation of Jesus to you is always come. It's never get away from me or I'm tired of you. He says, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. And we see the pattern and the model of prayer given to us in the Gospels that you and I are to be men and women of prayer. Even though he already knows what's going on, he knows what my feelings are, he knows the circumstances that I am facing. And we go to him because he wants us to talk things over with him. It's kind of like any of us that are parents. Those of us that are parents or are uh, you know, grandparents, or maybe you're ministering to a group, maybe you're teaching children's ministry, that we like to talk things over with our kids, don't we? I know that, that I like to do that. And I hope that you parents, or, you know, as you take your kids home today from children's ministry, that you ask them, what is it that you learned? And, and the kids will begin to explain those things to you, even though you may know the story, even though you may know the verses, but we like to hear it from them. Maybe perhaps it's a story like David and Goliath. I think that all of us, we know the story of David and Goliath, but they hear it and they learn about it. And we like to get their insights and the questions that they have and how excited they are. Any of us that are parents, we understand that, don't we? We can relate to that. Hey, tell me, what did you think about David? What do you think about this story? How did it strike you? We don't say, I already knew that story, so beat it. Or be quiet. We don't do that. No parent does that. We as parents, we want to listen to our children when they have something exciting that they want to share with us. Perhaps something that they learned in Sunday school. Or when our kids come to us and they're hurting and they're confused, we want to hear from them. And we may know the situation, we may know the story, we may know the facts, but we just want to hear it from them, don't we? And so too with the loving Father. And so too with Jesus. He loves to hear it from us. He enjoys conversation with us. And today Jesus would say to you and to me, talk to me. Talk to me about that trouble. Talk to me about that challenge in your life. Talk to me about the feelings that are the hurt that is in your heart. You know, as he stirs our hearts, as we're studying the word and we're thinking, Lord, this, just, this touches me. Talk to him. And I know oftentimes I think that as I spend time with the Lord, I'm talking with him over things or just asking him about this or I need wisdom in that, whatever the circumstance is. And it's almost like the Lord says, okay, Jeff, that's good. That's great. Come back and see me again. Let's talk about it some more, even this day, or come back and see me tomorrow.
And the Lord loves for us to converse with him as we come to him so he can minister to us his word and his truth. Talk to me. But also what I see in the text here is as they're talking over this situation with the Lord, they're going to find themselves being convicted by their very words. You see, when they start talking to the Lord in their conversation, is going to come out all sorts of reasons why they should not have been sad or uh, shouldn't have been in disbelief. And that's the beauty of prayer. When I talk things over with the Lord, that conversation will begin with me pouring out my heart to him. I'm telling him of the situation that I face or the circumstances that are before me. And then as I read the word, and that's the Lord talking to me, and as he's pressing my heart, and then he just begins to all of a sudden in that conversation, because that's what's so wonderful about being a Christian. As we read the word, that's the Lord talking and speaking to you. And as you go to him, and in that conversation, as something strikes you, you say, yes, Lord, that strikes me, that convicts me, that, that, that answers me. Lord, thank you for speaking to me. That conversation is going on, and I begin to sense his comfort and his truth and his instructions and his strength and a closeness to him. You know what it is that I'm saying is you to have devotions and you read your Bible every day as you're praying to the Lord. It's wonderful to be able to have that closeness and intimacy with the Lord. I think about how many times where I'm troubled in my heart that I'll go to the Lord and I'll go to, for example, the Psalms. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I find myself in the Psalms. And you know how the psalmist will start out uh, recounting what has happened and the trouble he's going through. And then as you go through the Psalm, the psalmist all of a sudden is rejoicing in the Lord. And I find myself being built up and edified and strengthened in the Lord. And that is what has taken place with these two men as they begin to have this conversation with the Lord. So watch what happens when Jesus says, what things? Talk it over with me. So they said to him, verse 19, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. In verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he is alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Don't you guys understand? Don't you see it? The women went to the tomb. It was empty. The apostles, Peter and John, went to the tomb. It was empty. There was a message from the angels that he is risen, as he said. You should be excited. Something should be stirring in your hearts. You should be expecting. Faith should be growing. Instead, you're sad and you're depressed and slow of heart and, and you're very heavy in your souls. Your own words are convicting you. A word from the angels, the witness of the apostles, the emptiness of the tomb, shouldn't that stimulate you and give you hope and begin to be a testimony to you? 
the truth of what has just happened, but instead your heavy heart. And Jesus says lovingly, but very honestly, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I know that I've heard those those compassionate words of the Lord. Jeff, oh, don't be foolish. Foolish one, here's my word. I'm speaking my promises to you. I'm giving you my truth. And I can be slow to believe. And rather than standing on the word of God and the truth of what God's promises are for me, I can be slow of heart just like these guys are. But he continues to minister to them. In verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I know for me as a pastor as a Bible teacher, even as a parent, and you as a parent, as you talk to your kids, you who are ministering to others, whether it's in the children's ministry or with the youth or maybe a small group, that what we are to do as a Christian, do you know what the key is in sharing the word? It's this, focus on and point to the person of Jesus Christ. You look to him, You learn of him. You speak of him. You see, theologians and and Bible teachers have this term. It's called hermeneutics. And what it means is it's the science of Bible interpretation. And I like what one Bible teacher that I listened to years ago said, and it really stuck with me. He said, it really should be hermeneutics. And what he meant by that is that you study him. You look to and for the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason that I think that's important in the day in which we're living in, because the very popular thing in the church today and in Christianity today is to focus on other things. So maybe focus on life skills. Maybe the message is, is feel good and positive thinking. You got the whole prosperity movement that has drawn literally tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of people into it, how God wants you to be prosperous and wealthy and all of this. Maybe the, the teachings on steps to practical living. And it's a very popular thing today. And unfortunately, there are young pastors that are following that model to try to get the crowds in and all of this. And I point that out because I want to... to put the point across and make sure that we understand on this day is Christianity is not based on positive thinking. It's not based on practical living or procedures or religion. It is focused and to be based on the person of Jesus Christ, having a personal relationship with him and learning of him. And a verse that I have given to you oftentimes in John chapter 5, verse 39, is that you search the scriptures, Jesus said to those religious leaders, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So Jesus then, and here in Luke, is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. People will say to you and to me, is it really important to have Bible study in the Old Testament scriptures? Because it's not really relevant or it's not contemporary. And there are many Christians and ministries that ignore most of the Old Testament. They'll maybe perhaps touch on the story of David and Goliath or, you know, other stories that are well known. But a lot of the Old Testament they ignore and say, we don't really need to study it. And I've even had pastors tell me personally that. 
Why would you go through the book of, of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy? It means nothing to us. But we know that it was Paul that would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that you search the scriptures and in them, um, he, John 5 was that, but Paul would write to Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, it is profitable for us. And as you read the Old Testament scripture, it does speak of Jesus. It points to him. It's all fulfilled by him. That he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus here, traveling with these two men, would expound in all the scriptures, the Old Testament scripture, the things concerning himself, that the Christ would suffer and die and rise from the grave and ascend into heaven. And as he does, they're going to come to realize that this Jesus of Nazareth is truly the fulfillment of scripture. That he died for their sins, he rose from the grave, and he's alive, and now we have a living hope. And I'm sure that Jesus, that... That he quoted from Isaiah. You know he did. That as speaking of himself, that Jesus, he was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, chastisement, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. I'm sure he must have spoke of Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus to those two men on the way to Emmaus must have gotten the most spectacular, most incredible Bible study ever taught in the history of mankind. Would you like to have a CD of that or be able to listen to that podcast? And here's Jesus beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He told them all about Messiah. He told them that Messiah was the seed of the woman who had come to crush the serpent's head, Genesis chapter 3. I wonder if he mentioned that, that he's the blessing of Abraham to all the nations, Genesis 22. That he's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. That he's the man who wrestled with, with Jacob in Genesis 32. That he's the line of the tribe of Judah. That he's the voice of the burning bush that declared to be the great I am, Exodus chapter 3. That he is the Passover lamb, Exodus 12. That he's the prophet greater than Moses. That he is the captain of the Lord's army in Joshua chapter 5. He's the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth. That he's the son of David that would sit upon the throne of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's the suffering savior of Psalm 22. He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the wisdom of Proverbs. And he's the lover of the Song of Solomon. He is the Savior, the prophets, and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that he is the Messiah, the Prince of Daniel, that will come and establish a kingdom that will last forever. And these men must have been amazed at Jesus' ability to teach and understand the scriptures. Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures, and we should do the same thing and follow the example of Jesus. That's what we should do. 
concerning himself he would do. And we do it concerning Jesus. You know, because he's the source of our salvation. He's the source of our joy and peace. And to have life eternal comes through him and life abundantly that we can experience now. It's all found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning and this Christmas season, I want to encourage every single one of us. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, eternal life is found in him. And if you've never called to him for salvation, it is not found salvation in anyone else or anything else. The invitation is given that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus is the one that came and died for you specifically individually died for all of your sins he rose from the grave and he's alive and as you recognize your need for him to be forgiven that you'll have eternal life and right relationship with the father but it comes recognizing that you're a sinner that needs to be forgiven and that you need to surrender your life to him but also christian listen Because I know that there have been those who have come through the morning services that this Christmas and as we enter into a new year that maybe you're tired and you're weary. And he says, call upon me. Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was reading something not too long ago, a couple months ago. I jotted it down, but those who study these things, they say the average weight and the average height of a person, whatever that might be, that in a 24-hour period, that your heart will beat almost 104,000 times in a 24-hour period. Your blood will travel 168 million miles. We breathe 23,000 times, inhaling 440 cubic feet of air. Our stomachs take in three and a half pounds of food. For some of us, maybe a little bit more this time of the year. In a 24-hour period, the average man speaks 4,500 words, a woman 7,000. Those are not my statistics. (laughs) We move 750 muscles, exercise 7 million brain cells. And I read that, and I think, so wonder we're tired. All this is going on. But a lot of people are tired in their hearts and in their souls and in their spirit. And we can talk about practical living. We can talk about philosophical you know, ideas. I can give you feel-good kind of messages, but your soul is still going to be tired. And we need to learn to go to him and to walk with him and to rely on on him and yoke ourselves to him. And what I pray is that we would continue to look to him and to know him. The most important thing in our Christian lives is to know him and that as we travel down the road with others, that we would be able to expound on the truth of God's word. It's him Jesus. Let people see Jesus. Let them see his love and his grace and his compassion and faithfulness, his provision, that he is everything that we need. Well, verse 28. Then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated he would have gone further. I kind of have that outlined it or underlined in my Bible because I like that. He would have gone further. I think that he's speaking to perhaps all of us, but particularly maybe to some of you, that he wants to go further with you that he 
desires to travel further with you in your life. And I know there have been times and circumstances and days where he wanted to go further with me, but I pulled back. I got lazy and lethargic spiritually, whatever the case may be. But for us, he says, I want to go further with you. And he's not going to force his way upon you. He's not going to to force his way into your thing and into your life. He will go as far as you want him to as you say, Lord, you lead me. You travel with me. And he's indicating to these guys he would have gone further with them. And then verse 29, they constrain him saying, abide with us for it is towards evening. And the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed and broken and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they are convicted by the word and now they are convinced by the word. These guys no longer are slow of heart, but there's a stirring that is in their heart. They're touched by the word and they're won by the word. As the scriptures were open to them. And that happens to you and to me, doesn't it? And as we go through the scriptures, the word of God begins to stir our hearts and to touch our hearts because the word of God, as Hebrews chapter 4 declares, is alive and is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we can come and learn of him and learn the word and stand on his promises. And there's a stirring that happens in our hearts. I know that many of you, as you have devotions, as you come to Bible study, as, as you hear the word, it begins isn't it? To stir your heart. I pray that it does. And there's a burning that is in your heart. There's just an excitement and, and you're convicted by the word and then you're convinced by the word. And it's so powerful as we do this. And then you are able to give that to others. You know, sometimes as Christians, maybe others say, oh, here comes that Christian. They give me just heartburn. Well, I pray you do give them a serious case of heartburn in the best sense of the word because their hearts burn within them. That just give them the word of God. To pray, Lord, give me those verses. Give me a word to give to that person as I talk to them. And as you do, there's going to be a stirring in their hearts. Sometimes we want to talk about the latest news, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Or what my take is on this. And this is my opinion. And this is my philosophy on things. Give them the truth of God's word and give them Jesus. And let their hearts have a burning and a stirring in them as you give them the truth. And then in verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. Now we're going to pick it up here next week when we finish Luke's gospel that the 11 that we are told, particularly from John's gospel, that they're hiding at this time. They still are fearful of the Jews. And here are the 11 with the others. And I wonder who are the others? I wonder who was in that room with them. Was it Mary, who John, the the mother of Jesus, was she there with them? She was taken away from the scene of the cross to John's house. Could it have been perhaps Joseph of Arimathea? Could it have been of Nicodemus? Maybe it was the women that were there. Certainly, I think maybe it was them that were there, Mary Magdalene and Mary and and and. Joanna and and the others. Was it perhaps blind Bartimaeus? That it tells us that just a little over a week before this, as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, that as his sight was received, that he followed Jesus from that time on. Was it those guys? Who, Who was there with them? We don't know. 
But as these two men from Emmaus come, they, they say, hey, we talk to the Lord. And they tell the others that we have discovered that he's alive. And they're saying, yeah, we've discovered that too. And, and again, they're going to be sorting all of this out. But the Lord is risen. He's alive. And isn't it wonderful when we discover things together? Oftentimes after a service, people will say, you know, what you talked about, the Lord spoke to me about that. Or he showed me those things. Or you're talking to another brother or sister and, and you tell them what the Lord has shown you in his word and then you get to share that you've discovered the same thing. It's a wonderful thing that happens as the Lord is teaching us and showing us things. Just how we discover things together. And here he's alive and he's appeared to Simon. Now the last time that we saw Simon before the crucifixion was in Caiaphas courtyard he had denied the Lord and he wept and here's Jesus appeared to Simon and I'm sure that as he appeared to Simon because later on we know for sure in John chapter 21 that he would commission Peter Simon to ministry but I'm sure at this time here he's appeared to Simon remember that the angel said go and tell the disciples and Peter especially Peter that I am alive and Peter needed to hear that because he had failed so miserably in denying the Lord. And he meets with you to confirm his love for you. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that you think, man, I've blown it. And I've failed. And the Lord wants to journey down the road with you, to walk alongside of you, to be with you, to lead you down the road of life. Because he has a great love for you. A love that will never end. And it was three days earlier. We know that to be true. Because he went down another road. The Via Dolorosa. The narrow streets of Jerusalem. To go to that place of execution. To die for you. To prove his love for you. And this morning that we know. That as he died and was put into that tomb. That he rose and he's alive. And for you to know that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That there is forgiveness. And maybe as he speaks to you, bringing that conviction through the word, he's saying, you know what? You need to trust in me. Turn away from that sin. Turn away from that carnality. Turn away from that attitude. Quit going to the world to look for answers. Journey with me and walk with me and know me. And to know that the blessings in life are truly found in him. And that we can leave this place here this morning rejoicing as we're going to see at the end of the chapter that they end up rejoicing because of his marvelous work that he has done. So Father, we thank you for this lesson, for Lord, just this really wonderful story of the two men on the way to Emmaus, how they discovered the truth that Jesus is alive. And Father, I do pray this morning that as we close here, that you're not quite done with us. That perhaps there's somebody that's here or in the coffee shop or listening on live stream or going to listen to this on the radio later. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you personally. He rose from the grave. He's alive. He died for your sins. He validated that he's the son of God who conquers sin and death by coming forth from that grave. 
And as you come to him and call upon him, realizing that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, he is your salvation. There is none other. It's not found in anyone else or anything else. You can't save yourself. A church can't save you. Jesus alone. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if that's you, the invitation is given for today is the day of salvation for you to call upon him, to surrender your life to him and ask for forgiveness. You can pray right where you are. Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. Forgive me your life speaking to my heart. I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my heart and life to you. And I want to travel with you and journey with you and know you to walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And listen, if that's you, you prayed that prayer as Pastor John just walked up front here. As we conclude the service, that you come and pray with him and tell him the decision that you made. But for all of us, I pray that we would have that mindset of him and Unix, to know you, Lord, personally, to know him, to travel with him, because you want to take us further than we ever dreamed to fill our hearts with real satisfaction and fulfillment and peace and joy this, this holiday season, this Christmas season. And so, Lord, we thank you for your patience with us and your love that remains with us. And, Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace. I pray that as we leave this place, we would be rejoicing and that we would share with others incredible love of our Lord and his provision. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. Would you please stand? Don't forget about Wednesday. Wednesday night, book of Isaiah.